Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 110. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Tuesday, July 7th. On this episode, we are going to talk about Eno's updated pitching ranks. We'll have some disagreements, I'm sure, and uh, some friendly agreements along the way. Uh, before we get to those ranks, we're going to talk a little bit about the absolute wild west that news gathering and reporting has become, and we expected it to be this way, but the start of summer camp at the end of last week and over the weekend for a few teams brought us a few more players who decided to opt out. We've got players who are away from their respective camps for a variety of different reasons. We have normal baseball-type injuries. We have guys who are actually making progress back from previous injuries. So it's like the usual spring training wave of news times two or three. And a lot of it is extra complicated, of course, by the pandemic. So we'll do our best to sort all of that out and steer us in the right direction. Uh, you know, how was your 4th of July weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, it was nice and long. I uh, drank lots of beers and uh, figured out how to get my grill working, even though the starter is broken. I Sometimes, like, Twitter is so good for that, like, Mom, my grill starter is not working. And then um, a couple of people tweeted, like, pictures of long lighters at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could have gave you that one. Yeah, you get the gas on, you go to the side, you hit the, the long lighter button, and it, it starts. So there was no, uh, the, the, I, I, there was a moment where I said, "Oh my God, am I not going to be able to grill this weekend?" But then, <laughs> once the long lighter situation uh, was put in place, I, I grilled lots. Well done. That uh, that was the case. I got to see my in laws. We had stuff on the grill as well. I drank a unicorn. Oh my God! You drank the blood of a unicorn. I did. Yes. Uh, I drank the Central Waters Maple Barrel Stout that I talked about on the uh... show a while back it was it was amazing it was delicious um so i was pretty excited about that to be honest it, it's not the ideal beer for an 85 no. 90 degree day <laughs> in which the humidity is 70 percent. i did drink it at night while watching family feud which is the proper way to drink high abv beers in the middle of the summer <laughs> yes Never never a dull moment with the feud. Uh, but let's get to some of the news that broke. We're not going to go out to every single story. I recapped some of it uh, on the site with a little piece on Monday night, and even that wasn't all-encompassing. I think the biggest story, just in terms of opt-outs, was David Price decided on Saturday that he was not going to participate in this 2020 season. I think uh, Felix Hernandez also opted out that same day, and Nick Marcakis opted out on Monday. Uh, but with Price, you know, this was a situation where we've talked about the Dodgers pitching depth time and time again. And even without him, since this is the guy they traded for, of course, after trading Kenta Maeda away to the Twins way back in February, they still have a ridiculous amount of pitching depth at their disposal. And the assumption here is that Ross Stripling will now have a spot to call his own in this rotation the weird thing about the Dodgers that I had not really noticed previously was that when spring training was first happening, Alex Wood was said to have had a spot to call his own. There wasn't a competition between Wood and Stripling. It was Kershaw, it was Bueller, it was Price, it was Urias, and it was Wood. And then it was Stripling and May and Tony Gonsolin all kind of on the outside looking in. So a little bit surprising, but then less surprising when you recall that at one point, Ross Stripling was headed to Anaheim. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even without Ross Stripling, they'd still have pretty impressive depth, you know. Uh, we'd be talking about Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May coming up. So, you know, it relieved a little bit of the pressure on ranking the back end of that Dodgers pitching staff and allowed me to push May and Stripling. Stripling's in the top 50. Uh, May's at 55. And, um, uh, you know, Urias is at 30. So they've got really impressive depth there. And uh, this was uh, something they can handle, I think. Yeah, they can deal with this especially in a shortened season I, I think what I noticed about Stripling is I was looking more closely at what he's done over the last three seasons now 
when he's starting, he's pretty easily a top 40 starting pitcher with an argument to be somewhere in that 20 to 30 range. I mean, that's where he falls in terms of individual skills. Uh, the K minus BB percentage is jumps off the page. If you look at a three-year leaderboard of starters, Stripling is well above the league average in that area. Uh, ERA always in the threes, good whip as well. So if we get a confirmation that he's the guy, that probably starts to nudge him up in drafts as those begin to pick up again. Even without that confirmation, I could see people pretty easily uh, pushing him toward the 175-200 range overall. I mean, think about it. That's where it's where Hinjin Ryu was being drafted in a lot of leagues last year. Yeah, and I have Ryu at 32 in um, a worse situation. But now with the DH in the National League, these situations are not that far apart. You know, Toronto and uh, LA just it becomes a strength of schedule uh, question almost in a, in a, in a stadium schedule. Uh, so uh, Stripling's in a pretty good spot. I think, you know, I did get a, 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 a question that he should be higher. Uh, because he has such great uh, command plus and um, a good projected uh, strikeout minus walk rate. Um, so it's possible uh, I have him too low, but at the same time, you know, just having so much respect for Dustin May's stuff um, makes you kind of wonder how that's going to uh, play out in the end, you know? And, and just looking at Stripling's history, um, it's not like the Dodgers have committed to him as a full-time starter yet. So as much as I love him, there was uh, still a few things. And, you know, I pushed him pretty hard. He's right there with, like, Kenta Maeda, Lance Lynn, Matt Boyd, Lance McCullers. Like, th- those are pitchers I want. So I don't know. Maybe he maybe he could be higher up. He's he's really cut out of the Ryu mold. In fact, he said that he saw how Ryu pitched and was like, you know, I, I want to pitch like that. I want to have five pitches that I can throw at any time. He's kind of done that. Yeah, I mean, you do have Dustin May with an earshot, and I think it's because now he's in that six-starter seat, kind of a coveted spot we've talked about for a lot of rotations, and I think the the paths really hinge on the injury histories of the players in front of that six-starter. I think with Alex Wood, you've got some pretty scary back injuries. With Urias, you have shoulder problems. You have Walker Bueller with a Tommy John surgery on his elbow a few years back. You've had Kershaw's back problems. You've had that lack of a commitment to Ross Stripling. So in this case, the sixth starter, especially, I mean, this is stripping away just how good this team is at developing pitchers and even May's really intriguing talent, which stands up on its own. They have one of those, I guess you'd say, weaker depth charts just in terms of where you would grade this team's overall ability to stay healthy just based on what we've seen in recent years, too. So... There will be opportunities for Dustin May, and I think it comes back to one of the thoughts that's been kicked around a little bit on this show is how long can you wait for someone who's not starting if you're in a deep enough mixed league and if that player is being used as a two- or three-inning reliever, I think you can use that pitcher in your active lineup. I think May will be used that way, so I think he can be waited on in a mixed league. I think the line might be Tony Gonsolin. I think you have to kind of wait and then pick him up if multiple injuries, if multiple paths open up, then Tony Gonsolin comes onto the radar because while he would also be good enough to be in a bunch of rotations in the league, you can't sit back and wait and wait and wait and not have that possible payoff around the corner of that starting spot. Yeah, I had in my rankings a little sixth man uh, area. Um, It started with Jonathan Loisega at 102, who I think is actually um, more likely to be a reliever in the long run, but will fill this role for the Yankees, which means lots of wins. Um, Plus his stuff is outstanding and he has good command. It's all just injury risk. So I had him first. um, And then there was a group of, of those like Andrew Kittredge, Tony Gonsolin, Trevor Richards, Randy Dobnak, um patrick sandoval who might be actually like a starting sixth person in the rotation uh logan allen so i had them all after 100 which says something i think because if even in a 15 team league um 100 is we're talking uh about your last pitcher 
yeah, I think that's that's an important distinction to keep in mind. And one of the thing I'd point out with any set of rankings, there's very little that separates players once you get to this point. A lot of it is the opportunity, uh, but having that preference, kind of choosing carefully which late round flyers you want to take, is really important. And you look at Jonathan Loisiga, he he's kind of interesting because Masahiro Tanaka got hit by a comebacker on Saturday. Thankfully, he appears to be doing about as well as he could be after that. Um, does have a, a mild concussion, as they've described it. I don't know why people describe concussions that way. I guess because <laughs> you could be in a worse state than you are. So right. like, I think that maybe that's why that language is used. But he was riding a stationary bike on, on Monday, and you know he may actually be ready to go when the season starts in just over two weeks, which if you saw those pictures, if you saw the video of that incident as it happened on Saturday, that was definitely not the timetable that Jesus. first came to mind when that accident occurred. Two weeks, dude. Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up real quick. And what was on your sheet? We got something like 65 major leaguers that are, have COVID right now? <laughs> not not quite there. Um, so... So this this but this speaks to the difficulty of of tracking everything, right? So I made a sheet. I've kept it internal because it's really for me just to track what's happening so I can properly relay information to everybody else. And I'm tracking 2020 season availability, and the reason I labeled it that way and I'm tracking it that way is that we do have players who have tested positive for COVID. I would say looking at the list on the list that I have, probably at least 20 probably well over that. I say that knowing there will be more positive tests because there have been delays in testing, which have caused some teams to cancel workouts on Monday. Uh, it's been a point of frustration from some GMs and from some players. The weirdest thing about that, you know, is that I've seen I've seen and heard from other players and GMs just watching various clips of interviews and following things on Twitter. In some camps, things are running smoothly. They're running the way they're supposed to. In others, there are delays. There are testers not showing up in a couple of cases. It's been really, really strange. So the hardest thing about all this, I think, just from knowing who is where and what they're able to do, is that because teams can only share information about a positive test if the player consents to it, you have players who are away from camp sometimes because of the virus, but sometimes for other reasons entirely. And you can't quite tell the difference because of the language being used when managers and when GMs are being asked by reporters, hey, where is this guy? You yeah. know, like Jordan Alvarez doesn't have a confirmed positive test. He just hasn't been at camp yet. So we can't, we can't assume that anybody who's not at camp has that, but there's a lot of players who haven't been seen at team workouts. I mean, Tyler Glass now, is on that list. He has not been seen at a public raise workout since their camp opened yet. It means something, but we don't know the exact cause for sure. And sometimes, and yeah, I mean, we've seen there's a couple stories that come to mind. So Josh James is on this list, but you know, James clicks his non-COVID personal absence. So we may be conflating a couple personal absences. This is something that's going to happen because we have to figure out. We have to read between the lines. It's terrible. And so uh, maybe Josh James isn't isn't uh, COVID positive, but we know that on your list right now, it says Cole Calhoun missed workouts Friday, Saturday. The news comes out today that he tested positive. Right. So it's like this underlying assumption, but you still can't make that assumption. And you don't want to, A, you don't want to say anything or write anything that assumes that, but you do want to try and just account for it and, and see if that player shows up to workouts the next day or two days later or three days later or if the IL situation plays out or if you get confirmation of something else entirely, which I think Kirby Yates was an example of that. He had some personal matter he was attending to and he's supposed to go through intake testing. He either went through it Monday or he's going to go through it today on yeah. Tuesday. We're just left to kind of wait until we get those details. So I, I think being a beat writer is always difficult, like having followed beat writers since I joined Twitter for the purpose of knowing what's going on. I, I think it's never been more difficult to get accurate information. And on top of that, you know, we're talking about people who are going into a ballpark in a pandemic 
and working in some very unusual circumstances to even do their job in the first place. Yeah, and then you add uh, just the, the, the weird stilted access that we're getting, which is two random players on Zoom every day. Um, you know, and as a national reporter, I'm finding out that I'm lucky to actually be invited to these, uh, in some local markets, the national reporters are not invited, um, which, uh, you know, just to, just to say a shout out to national writers, uh, that crap ain't easy either. (laughs) And (laughs) there are actually some things built into the system, uh, to help, uh, local beat writers uh, that are not there for national writers. But uh, no one cares about my little sob story. The other thing I was going to say is Freddie Freeman had a very interesting situation where he tested positive, was held out of lineups, uh, held out of workouts for a day. I think he then then tested negative uh, and then tested again and tested positive. So not all the tests are exactly right and there's a cadence to the test that's a little bit off because of july 4th weekend apparently baseball wasn't ready for a thing called holiday weekend uh which is (laughs) it's unheard of i've never heard of such a thing holiday weekend um and uh that caused uh some flight related um sample delivery related backups and that's caused Mike Rizzo to step out today and say the season is at risk if this is how it's going to continue. So baseball really needs to find a second testing uh, place, and they they've said they're going to do that. Uh, they need to have uh, they need to have uh, shipping protocols in place uh, for holiday weekends, um, and uh, they need to be able to do this uh, because some some uh, camps have even f- canceled their full workouts. Uh, because they haven't gotten the test results from the last uh, testing they did. So, um, yeah, I think one thing that, uh, you know, take take a big deep breath. One thing that uh, has been true of the coronavirus all year and of our situation has been that things change quickly. Uh, sometimes things seem at the very bottom when they're not, they can get worse or they can get better and then get worse again. So I would say that I don't think that this means that the season's not happening. Uh, I do think that it wasn't the greatest first week of testing, uh, but maybe uh, given baseball being so um, focused on the financials, uh, maybe this was something that's foreseeable. Yeah, as as frustrating as all of this is, I think it was Mark Carrig, he suggested on Twitter, this is really a microcosm of what's happened in America yeah. overall since the pandemic started. And I, I think that's a I think that's a reasonable comparison to make based on how this is playing out so far. Uh, now the question is, how much can things improve and how quickly can they improve? But Monday did feel like a day where the sky was falling again just based on the general tone of baseball in general. Just looking around Twitter, you have your good days and your bad days. Twitter's mostly bad days, but then there are some really bad days. Monday was closer to a a really bad day, but then you sleep on it, you show up the next day, you read some more reports, and things gradually start to improve. Uh, But I do think we're still awaiting details from some teams because of delays. I mean, there was a point, I think it was on Sunday, where I looked at the list of players I was tracking, and there were six or seven teams that didn't have anybody even on that list because they were radio silent about what was happening in their camp. Yeah, the A's have been the A's have been very silent. But we found out why with with Alex Coffey's story about the the test delays. And they did get on the field for a workout Monday. I think initially they were they, they were, were not going to get a team it, yeah. workout in Monday, but they got it in later in the evening. But they also had players as of I think Sunday afternoon, Jesus Lazardo and Mike Fires, their activation for camp was quote pending and also quote not injury related. So, you know, imperfect information, limited information completely missing information in some cases. Yeah, and like, these are I, I, and these, I've seen it all. And and these are huge movers. Like I I decided not to really look at this list because there's so much not to think, but like in the context of today's pitching ranks, um um Anthony Scafani awaiting test results, okay? Uh Josh James hasn't arrived yet, but that's a non-covid accent. Uh Jose Urquidy hasn't arrived, maybe it's a visa thing, who knows. 
Um, and uh, Lizardo, if that if it is a positive, it's a pretty big deal because that's why I said that's how we got into this. That, this, that was the segue. Two weeks. So, you know, I think that any player under 30 um, would, uh, the, even if they got uh, COVID, might be ready to work out in two weeks. However, if this is Jesus Lazardo coming back to camp, we don't know how many uh, innings he's ready to throw right now. And then he has to stay out of camp for the next two weeks because he has uh, coronavirus. Even if he comes back healthy near opening day, we still don't know how many innings he has. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, Aaron Nola was, had to isolate because he was exposed to someone. We still don't know if he got it, uh, but that would be a big deal. Um, and uh, Carlos Martinez is awaiting test results. We kind of just are in this really weird waiting game. And as we're in this weird waiting game, the, the season approaches. So, Right. And I think you kind of hinted at this just a little bit. Uh, with you know Lizardo, but this applies really to every single pitcher, and it came up when Derek Shelton from the Pirates was talking about their guys being pretty stretched out before camp started. Everybody is in a kind of an individual situation, and until you have the player in camp, and until you get some confirmations of what they're able to do in an inter-squad game or in their bullpen sessions, you kind of have to put the initial workload and timetable for when they're actually going to begin their season, regardless of opening day's actual date, you kind of have to put that into into a question mark situation and just wait and say, okay, now I know. Now I've got confirmation. I've seen that Garrett Cole threw six innings in an intra-squad game over the weekend or something, which that hasn't happened yet, but the Yankees had an intra-squad game on Monday, and you know, I'm looking for normal news nuggets like that, where Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton are healthy and participating in games like everybody else. Aaron Hicks was out there too. Like Aaron Hicks was coming back from Tommy John surgery. He was going to miss half the season back when we were going through the first part of draft season. Now he could be ready potentially when this season gets underway. So all that to say, it's crazy out there. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the ranks and, and how... At this point, you didn't take these situations and adjust for them. I think you're right to be careful with this because a day can change and a player could be totally fine. If you find out on Wednesday that Jesus Lazardo showed up to camp and threw six innings, that that would have completely changed your perception of, of where he's at on a dime. And then and then on top of that, um, it's not clear to me. Like, Remember they came out and said, oh, 31 uh, players tested positive, right? And so everyone said, oh, that's that's a great number, you know. Um, oh, you know, then we were flying high. Then all the stuff guards come in and we're like, well, it's actually closer to 70, it looks like. Well, which one is it? And I think that one of the problems is some of these are were like earlier. You know, like right. there's, a Phillies, uh, there's a Phillies contingent on this list, but we've kind of known about the Phillies one for like five days or something. Right, and that like in and of itself a was a unique situation because I don't think that was supposed to appear on the transactions log where people found it. Like like the league, MLB.com, just has a, a transactions log, and there was some question as to whether or not these were supposed to be there. The Blue Jays had that too, and in those groups, those are not necessarily all players with a positive test. Those are also people that could have been exposed. So... I'm just I'm kind of like shrugging my shoulders, and, and you know this isn't a TV show or a video stream or anything, so people don't see how animated I am. It's it's great radio, it's outstanding radio, it's the absolute best. <laughs> but if if you're trying to say, well, how much should I move this guy up? How much should I move this guy down? I I don't know if I can give you a good answer. I can try and explain what I've been able to learn so far about that situation, and I think individually we're going to have to just decide what are we comfortable with what are we not comfortable with in terms of actionable things at a granular sort of level i mean one thing that really surprised me i'm i'm happy for him if this is the choice he really wants to make and he feels good about it i'm surprised carlos carrasco is pitching at all this season and he's already built up to a six inning workload so i mean that's crazy, right? Like I, I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to play this season. I think Carlos Carrasco is amazing. 
I just would have thought as players were choosing not to play this year, he would have been one of those guys. I would not have been surprised one bit to get that news from him. Yeah. And while I, you know, while I, I'm kind of sure that a, a, a test, a positive test right now for a starting pitcher is negative news because of the next two weeks could be used to ramp up. Um, I don't think it's as negative for someone like Hector Neris just to kind of try and read the tea leaves and try to do something actionable here because, uh, you know, relievers just come out and throw as hard as they can for an inning, right? Um, I, I don't know how much he'll be affected uh, in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, Adam Hazley, Scott Kingery, Miguel Sano, Luis Urias is just, he seems to be snake bit. Um, you know, those guys... Batters tell me they need two weeks to get their timing. So if they're out for the full two weeks, um, you know, then uh, then I would say it's a definite negative for them this year. I think what we're looking at is a situation that somewhat resembles a normal spring training in that a reliever needs less time to ramp back up than a starter. That's just the way the workloads of those pitchers are. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing we've always probably underestimated in the past is how much a hitter's timing gets thrown off by a absence like that. You know, that's why hitters go on rehab assignments for a few games sometimes just to get that back before they, they come back up to the big leagues. So, um, we've, we've looked at these types of situations before our prompts for looking at them have changed. In, in one of the worst ways, like that's just that's what this is. Like I, it kind of finally struck me over the weekend. It was like we always look at depth charts. We're always looking at who the next person's going to be. We're always trying to figure out playing time in the event of X, Y, or Z. Well, now there's another variable, but it's the same kind of process that we're going through. Just being prepared for absences, knowing that there will probably be more absences than usual in this 2020 season. Yeah, there's going to be some weird lineups. I mean, just look at the Phillies. If they really have to start opening day without Kingery and Hazley, who's playing center? Right. Some teams don't have like major league ready hitters to play certain positions. They might have a good defender who was at Double A last year who could come up and and just be that guy. And it, it, I think catcher is where it first comes to mind. But even you know center field could be a little bit like that. But Roman Quinn, I guess, yeah, would yeah. be the Quinn, center fielder. Quinn would play. That would be that'd be pretty. Make him a fantastic first week pickup for steals, I guess. And then yeah. Baum, I guess, would just play. Would just hey, kid, get out there. You're playing third. Yeah, he's. I think Segura would just move over to second. Baum would get a shot to play some third base. I, I'm curious to see how much they would play like Neil Walker. I think this is going to be one of the tricky things too with the teams that have prospects you know, in the pool on the cusp of being on the opening day 30-man roster, will they go with the veteran who's done it before in that spot, or will they actually push their chips in with the young player? And you know, That's among the things we're hoping to learn in the uh, two weeks before opening day. It's nice to say two weeks before opening day, by the way. It actually, Yeah, let's put a different good. spin on that. Not not two weeks. Let's, let's go with two weeks. Nice. Only, only two weeks before we get to watch baseball again yeah we're gonna even have some of those uh they get three three spring training games you know one thing that is annoying too is i i have seen some reports about you know what a player did in the inter-squad games and it's not helpful (laughs) i mean okay strikeouts and walks i think I was a little surprised Kluber went like six innings or something and only had one strikeout against one walk. But am I going to freak out about that? I don't think so. Especially since the only piece of information I want is where did he sit on the radar gun? Mm, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that when it's good, teams might leak that. Right. <laughs> but there's a chance when, when it's, it's bad, bad, it won't come out. Yeah. And and that's that's been uh, my my frustration with this in general is just um, I feel like the doors have been shut on access and um, PR is is running the show in a weird way. Um, so the one thing is they are all playing in stadiums that have Hawkeye. That those velocities are being recorded. 
They're going somewhere. They should go on Savant. <laughs> I hope it'd be great if they were, but I uh, don't think so. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Those those are not going to be publicly available uh, unless something very very surprising happens in the near future. Summer is here, and our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 Personal Trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Uh, But let's talk about your ranks. Those went up on the site on Tuesday. No big surprises at the top. I'm going to give away the top five because why not? So you've you got the Cole DeGrom, Verlander, Scherzer, Bueller, Quintet at the top of your list. I think those five in some order, usually the five guys that you see there. The one difference, the one change was I did uh, put Cole over DeGrom. Uh, that was, I had DeGrom first, but uh, the DH thing uh, kind of switched it up. I feel like, you know, if they're both throwing the same kind of lineups, uh, the difference is kind of stadium on one side for Cole um, and a little bit of age and not quite as good stuff uh, on the side of DeGrom. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the thing I've got right now on mine, I, my stuff comes out, overall list comes out on Thursday. I've got Verlander at five, mm-hmm. Bueller four, Scherzer three, splitting hairs. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty easy to justify Verlander a little earlier, of course. Uh, the guy that I, I think moved up the most in the top part of my list, and I imagine compared to where he was the last time he did this exercise, he's crept back up because of health, is Mike Clevenger. 27 spots. Yeah, that's a huge, huge jump. I've gone to the point where I, I'm Clevenger over Bieber now. You're Bieber just over Clevenger. They're at 6 and 7, respectively. And I think... It comes down to a couple of things. I'm, I'm convinced by some of the things that I saw in Alex Chamberlain's PitchCon presentation about the hard contact that Bieber allows. And I just believe more in the Clevenger strikeout rate, too. Like, I don't think there's much that separates these two guys in terms of ratios, but I think I'd trust Clevenger to get me more Ks over Bieber, all of the things being equal. Yeah, we have a, a really good email um, that uh, I, sh- I want to uh, spend more time on. Um, but one of the things that pointed out about uh, Bieber and um, Chamberlain's uh, piece and just uh, the ability of a pitcher to uh, control exit velocity. Um, and basically, he pointed out that Bieber lives in the zone a lot. And we know that the zone is where hard contact is. And that caused Daniel Murphy to get in touch with me and say, Bieber needs to throw more knockdown pitches. So I wrote a piece about Bieber, you know, at least needing to get out of the heart of the zone. Um, and uh, maybe what are, what's the efficacy of knockdown pitches? So I would say that the efficacy of knockdown pitches is dubious at best because you hit the batter a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there was some evidence that um, even if you hit the batter, that things would go better for you in the next couple plate appearances against that batter. So if people are getting too comfortable against you, um, throwing up and in can be a way to uh, remind them not to do that, you know, not to sort of dive over the plate. However, my point is, Bieber had a home run problem in the first half. He was two in the middle of the, the middle of the zone. In the second half, he uh, threw more pitches outside of the, the heart of the zone um, and had a, a sort of legendary second half. So I, I do, I don't think that pitchers control exit velocity. I think that they control launch angle to some extent. 
And this is something that jives even with dips. Dips theory is uh, defense independent baseball, uh, defense independent pitching. Uh, Voris McCracken came up with that. Um, but with dips, we thought pitcher can't control a ball in play. However, one big retort I've always had to dips is why are there ground ball pitchers and fly ball pitchers then? Right? So obviously they can control something and that has to do with location in the zone. If you throw low, you get more grounders. If you throw high, you get more fly balls. Uh, but in any case, the pitcher has control over where he puts the ball to some extent. And so um, he does have some control over launch angle. He just does not have much control over the exit velocity. However, we know from launch angle analysis that there are good and bad launch angles, right? Um, mm-hmm. we, we know that 45 is great. You know, that's a pop-up. We know that minus 10 is great. That's a, that's a million hopper. So, um, and, and given that Bieber has much better command than Clevenger, uh, Clevenger has better stuff, but given that Bieber has much better command than Clevenger, I think that any of his issues with exit velocity to date um, are surmountable, given that he can move the ball around and has shown the ability to adjust on this level already in the past season. So that, that that's my that's my that's my piece. Um, but the, the the email was really interesting because he kind of broke it down into inside the zone and outside the zone as two different places to evaluate a pitcher, um, and that could be fair, I think. Uh, because inside the zone, you have a set of things you want, and a whiff is number one, or a called strike. You know, a, a non-swing um, inside the zone or a whiff—that's great. Um, but a non-swing outside of the zone, just that—that that sort of was an aha moment for me. It's like, oh yeah, a non-swing outside of the zone um, is a ball and it's bad, right? So inside the zone, you have obviously di- a different set of of um, priorities and outside the zone you have a different set of priorities right so i mean if you were if you were just doing a a brief like hierarchy of of the outcomes the individual outcomes of each pitch that you want as a pitcher you know and in the zone like what's that what's the ideal pitch in the zone non-swinging strike yes uh because the hitter didn't even try to like to do anything with it and you located it so well you still got the strike yes um i kind of prefer a swinging strike inside the zone though because i think it has implications for um the the batter's willingness to swing you know pitchers get into real trouble when the batter stops swinging right adam Adovino, his worst year he said they went to the plate and said i'm gonna make this guy throw me a strike first Right. So a swing inside the zone suggests that the pitcher is doing something that is is um, is good in terms of getting them to swing. But yes, uh, there's a huge difference between a non swing inside the zone and a non swing outside the zone. Uh, And so therefore, that dichotomy by itself, I think, is meaningful. It's just, it's kind of like, well, what, what are you trying to do? It's where intent kind of comes back into, are, are you throwing this pitch, hoping to get a swing and miss in the zone? Are you hoping to get a swing and miss outside the zone? Are you hoping to freeze the hitter completely and just catch them off guard with something that maybe couldn't get a swing and miss, but the element of surprise is the intent of the pitch. You know, like there's a different combination of things you can do. It depends on what you have to work with. It depends on a lot of different factors, I guess. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Circling back over to the ranks for a little bit, 
you know, I'm looking at a few of these guys that are in the top 20. And one who I have really struggled with the more that I look at the projections is Patrick Corbin. You've got him at 18. It's not a controversial rank. I think I had him previously in, in my top 20, and I've finally just started to lower him. He, he gets Ks. He's on a good team. You know, I, I think what I'm more asking myself now is why don't projections like Patrick Corbin? What about him gives him a projection with the ratios that's worse than the other pitchers who go in this range? I don't actually know that because I would have always figured that it would be my fancy schmancy numbers that don't like him and that projections would love him. Um, you know, just looking at uh, his numbers for the last three years, even the one where he had a 403 ERA in 2017, um, in terms of projections, the strikeout rate was good, the walk rate was good, the home run rate was manageable. Um, and you could actually regress that year. The Babbitt was 326, so you could actually say he was a little unlucky on balls in play. Um, and like looking at those, like looking at those three years and projections normally, uh, mostly come from the last three years, I would project, uh, something in the low threes, you know, cause three years ago is the thing that's weighted the least. So you'd be waiting 325, 315, and then 403 the least. Um, so I'm a little surprised at that. One thing I do know is that velocity is now, uh, fastball velocity is now in most, uh, projection systems um and so he sits at 919 um and that's a good tick plus under league average uh so they might be adding that in uh plus he hit 30 so maybe there's an aging component um that's that's dragging him down um but uh for me on on my side like he has the worst uh, stuff number in the top 30 um, hmm. and the only person who's worse than him in, uh, the only two people who are worse than him in the top 50 are Kyle Hendricks and Matthew Boyd. Okay. Well, maybe that's an indicator of the direction, like Boyd, it could be the direction he's heading in, which is a little bit weird because there's still some things you could look at with Matthew Boyd and say he's potentially getting better. Yeah. I mean, there's the changeup, uh, that he was throwing that looked good that he, he always has a changeup, but he'd gotten away from it when he fell in love with the slider. Uh, also, I will say something about this group. Matthew Boyd, Kyle Hendricks, and Patrick Corbin all have excellent slider command. And uh, the missing component uh, for Patrick Corbin, when I looked into his slider and said, why is the slider so good? His stuff numbers aren't great. You know, by the ways that we normally look at sliders, it doesn't, it doesn't look great. And the biggest thing that was missing was command. Uh, Corbin is excellent at putting that slider where he needs to put it. So, um, I think that's the, I think that's sort of the missing ingredient that if a person's stuff number was low, um, you know, other, other low stuff numbers in my top 50 include Zach Greinke, uh, Hanjin Ryu, um, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Kenta Maeda. All these guys have excellent command plus numbers. Um, generally, uh, but a lot of those are buoyed by uh, like a hard breaking ball command. So that's the that's where the league is going. That's what the league has demanded of its pitchers is uh, you know a command of a secondary pitch uh, on the level of uh, of getting strikes with it. Um, so I think that's I think that's the missing ingredient for Corbin. The other thing I'm starting to think about with Corbin is Rich Hill and what he's been able to accomplish in his late thirties as a two pitch lefty who doesn't have velocity at all. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's same, same kind of thing, like averaged 90.3 last year. It's a curveball instead of a slider, but I think it's the same concept. We're talking about two pitches, a low velocity fastball, but he commands it. He commands the, the, the breaking ball. He doesn't command the fastball. Sometimes it's painful to watch him command the fastball. <laughs> And he's like out there cursing, it's, and it's just that's the fun part. Though, yeah. is how mad he gets he's about so it because mad. like that's he's such a normal human being in that moment. It's like he has this extraordinary talent. He has this amazing curveball, 
and yet when he can't locate the fastball, he's just like me working on a project on the patio that's not going well. <laughs> yeah, I saw some spring start where he was cursing and there was only like, you know, 300 people in the stands and it was just reverberating. <laughs> just like <laughs> F-bombs, just like, you know. Hi, so, you I guess the reason, the, the reason I bring up Hill, though, is it's like, People were betting against Hill for a while, in part because of the unusual shape of his career, the comeback and everything. Mm -hmm. I would feel like a real donkey if five years pass, if we're we're doing this show in 2025, and I'm, well, you know, I've aged a lot in five years. (laughs) I've been fading Patrick Corbin for five years, but it's time for me to go ahead and start investing and that's the year he's a top 30 pitcher (laughs) right and then if then it finally all falls apart but i i just think you know it goes back to an idea that we're not going to capture everything yes even as projections get better there's still going to be these blind spots that are there no matter how good no matter how accurate they are yeah that in and of itself shouldn't be my reason i should i should keep digging in deeper and keep deciding okay is this slider and that slider command, is that good enough for me to trust him to keep beating his own projections and to keep beating those expectations? And maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I don't have to buy in. I could let other people pay a premium price. I mean, look, we're talking about a guy who goes in the top 50 of drafts mm-hmm. most of the time. Like, you should be pretty sure about a guy you're going to draft in the top 50. Well, if you're not, I have let a, somebody else draft that player. I don't think I have a single share. So um, I agree with you, but I also... Like what what will end up happening is I'm not going to draft, you know, Patrick Corbin's stuff number is so bad that I should really put him, you know, if I'm just like a stuffist, like I say, then I should put him like 35 next to Kyle Hendricks and Matthew Boyd and put him in their 40s and be like, this is where his stuff says I should just rank it by stuff and be like, this guy's stuff is bad. I'm not going to put him in the top 50 or whatever it is, you know, but I also have respect for projections, but projections miss. So what ends up happening is I end up putting Corbin one or two lower than consensus, you know, not 5, 10, 15, 20 lower than consensus, and I end up not getting any shares. That, yeah. That's how that's how quickly it goes. You just move a guy one or two off of consensus, and you either get a ton of... Like, I have Jose Bar- Barrios uh, at 21. And the projection for him suggests he should be more around 28. That is kind of an enormous amount of movement against the projections. And that is why I have like four Jose Barrios shares. Yeah, because you could you can argue up and say he compares favorably to someone like Grinky. Or you could probably argue down and compare him to someone like Lance Lynn. And there's a 60-pick gap between those Who's guys. Who's Corbin or... Barrios, like I think you could argue Barrios as high as Granky, and you could probably bring him down as low as Lynn, who might be a little too low himself potentially. Yeah, and so and someone pointed out, well, Stripling and and Granky have the same command plus. Like, shouldn't uh, Stripling be closer to Granky? And I'm like, well, Granky has established results, you know, Um, and the projections love him. So with those two, like, I'm comfortable putting him where he is. but I did move him down a couple spots. Um, so I don't know. It, it, we're all trying to figure this out, but I, I do like what you're saying generally, which is we're, we are not going to have it all figured out. And I don't have, like when I, in my master list here, I've got stuff, command, steamer, strikeout minus walks, uh, ATC projections, um, and then old rank. And so I'm just trying to kind of not move anyone too far unless I have a real good reason. Uh, look at what the projections are, but don't be totally married to it, especially once you leave the first uh, sort of 30 behind. Now you're talking about, well, I like this guy that was projected for $4 better than this guy projected for $7. Fine. That's fine. Do that. Uh, but could I have a thing in here for a slider command, especially? Maybe. Uh, maybe someday I'll have a deception number, you know? Well, that would help Joey Lucchese. Yeah, maybe, because he needs some help. <laughs> he's he's pretty buried in your ranks. I, I'm not a Joey Lucchese guy. I just He was one of those names. I said, whoa, he's, he's low on this list. I've told people this before, but uh, he has... 
this is amazing. Listen to this. He has a 66 stuff number and an 88 command number. I don't have another person with a stuff under 70. <laughs> but, okay, so then the deception score has to be off the charts. Yeah, he has right. to have like a Otherwise 125 deception on score. Because <laughs> he couldn't exist without that. I think we, could, we can kind of assume that he's at or near the top of that list right. of, for deception, and that's how it all works as well as it does given X, Y, and Z. Thinking about what we're saying here, as you move further down the list, you are worried a lot less about projections. Earlier, you're buying projections. You're buying like a confidence level mm-hmm. in those projections. But as soon as you move into the middle rounds, you're just trying to find guys who break projections, like who just completely overperform them. And that's where I relied on stuff. Uh, I started to uh, depart from uh, projections actually as early um, as uh, 30, I'd say. Uh, Trevor Bauer... Frankie Montas, Julio Urias, Corey Kluber, uh, and Sonny Gray. That's uh, Sonny, Sonny Gray starts that list. Giolito, Gray, Bauer, Montas, Urias, Kluber. Uh, they they have projections varying from twelve, uh, thirteen dollars for Giolito uh, to eight dollars for Urias. Um, and I put them all next to each other because they all have basically one ten or better stuff, um, and they stood out. Um, and then I slide in Ryu, Hendricks, and Rodriguez, who are command guys. And then I'm back on my stuff. Wheeler, Urquidy, Gallon, Otani, McCullers, all excellent stuff. So, uh, and then if you want to look like way later for my, my sleepers, um, you know, I have another group of, of stuff sleepers. Canning, Cease, Turnbull, Means, Hauser, and Keller, uh, and Nate Pearson. All have excellent. I don't have an. I don't stuff number for Pearson, but those are all have excellent stuff numbers. So that's a that that's a little window into. Uh, I, I'm willing to give someone below average stuff and good command if they've got demonstrated results. If you're going to come into the league with below average stuff and above average command, I'm going to need a year to see what you're going to do with that. Because I don't think that could turn out anyway. From like that could be a spot starter. Uh, to, uh, if you're very lucky, Ryu, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's what you're hoping for, is that you're unearthing the Ryus and the Glassnows and the, the guys that are very talented that have everything come together. That's the goal. I think what's frustrating is that while we have, I think we're doing a better job as a community finding indicators that lead us to breakouts. Mm-hmm. That's my hypothesis that we're better at it now than we used to be. I have not proven it with an extensive research uh, uh, project, but uh, I think we're a little bit better at this now than the collective we used to be five years ago and ten years ago. What I don't think we're good at is finding the players up top who are going to come down for reasons you know that are actually a little more predictable. Right? Injuries happen. That's part of the game. I don't think we've done a good job or as good of a job, maybe because we don't want to. It's not, it's not as fun to find out who's going to decline and why. It's more fun to find breakouts. It's a positive trend. You want the positive trend. I just don't know if I feel like I've seen analysis that consistently helps us find, with good reason, players who are highly ranked who will not perform at the level that is expected. Yeah, yeah. And they're difficult to, to spot. One thing I did for my stuff and command numbers was just highlight um, uh, the bad um, with conditional formatting in my Excel so that uh, between 90 and 100, it's light pink. And then under 90, it's it's bright red. Um, and so just looking at like my uh, top, let's say top 15 down to glass now, uh, the only pink on there is Clevenger's command number, Flaherty stuff number, and Glassnow's command number. Um, and I think we're all sort of aware of Glassnow's command problem. Um, I don't think that anybody would put a really great command on Clevenger. Uh, but maybe people will be surprised uh, to see that Flaherty actually has more in common with Patrick Corbin than he does anybody else in this top 20 
Oh, a good, a player I could be wrong about for the next 10 years. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Makes me really happy. But and, and what do Flaherty and Corbin have in common? Because it's not really slot or, or size or, or even handedness. It's slider command. Yeah. That's really interesting, though, because in a traditional scouting sense, there's no world in which anyone would comp Patrick Corbin to Jack Flaherty <laughs> or Jack Flaherty to Patrick Corbin. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, even if you're, like, you you might be surprised that he has a 95 stuff number given his fastball velocity, which seems pretty decent. But he hasn't, he just hasn't really, uh, uh, you know, put together uh, that third pitch. We're all waiting for that curve to kind of solidify or the splitter. Um, and that sounds a lot like Patrick Corbin to me. Right, he's Flaherty's still trying though. That's right. Whereas Corbin, Corbin it's kind of like, he's, like, you know, I'm, I'm a two pitch guy. Like, Corbin's bro- kind of more slow slider. I throw path. sometimes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what maybe drives us to Flaherty and says, okay, like he's already doing this, and this being being Corbin alone is good, but he might be a right handed Corbin who also develops that third pitch, and if that happens, that's the difference between being 10 to 20 year over year and being in that top 10. Yes. And so, but I did want to point out that that's the pink that I'm looking at because if I was forced into a corner, that that would be someone I'd pick against. I, I use a similar shading system, the conditional formatting. Uh-huh. It's not, it's not secret. It's not a big deal. I use that on my, my Oh no. Well. Oh, come on. I thought I was the first person. You discovered it, yeah. Uh, I, I don't have the stuff numbers and the command numbers in mind, though, so uh, what, I, what I'm leaning on is just differences in strikeout rate, uh-huh. ba- basic skills, strikeout rate, walk rate, home run rate, ratios. I have the projections. I have backwards-looking stuff. And it is interesting to see where those little specks of a pink, you don't see red at the top of the list, but you definitely see pink for some players. I mean, you see it in even Scherzer and Verlander's home run rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it in Luis Castillo's walk rate. You see it in Blake Snell's walk rate. Mm-hmm. You see it in Hugh Darvish's projected walk rate. You see it in Grinky's home run rate. You see uh, kind of like white strikeout rates for some of those guys like Grinky and Barrios, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do think it's a good way to visualize some things that when you're looking at players who on the whole are all very good and have generally great skills across the board just having that occasional flag like no hey look this this isn't as good as the other players it can help you make a decision between two players where you really don't have a strong pull one way or the other yeah yeah um and it just i think it it helps you kind of uh see your own biases and sort of see your uh analysis in effect right in a visual way cuz i can see that stuff that I can see how I'm a stuffist based on how much more white there is on the stuff as I go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, and you can, and you can start to see sort of minimum thresholds where you're like, Oh, you know, nobody with a command plus less than 90 is in my top 45. Well, and I think the, I guess the, the, the case, the quick case I would make for continuing to keep some basic, stats and even a little bit of backwards looking stuff in there too is that'll help you find some outliers Mm -hmm. some guys where the stuff doesn't match up and then you can drill in a little more and say okay how is this happening why is this happening do i still trust this to keep happening you know i think that's really important too i think if you get too locked in to any one of these things you can miss something that should have been brought to your attention you know because you look only at one column or two columns yeah. when you could have been looking at eight or ten. Well, I, that's why uh, I'd leave steamer strikeouts minus walks in there. And, um, you know, that's more of an in-season thing than a season-to-season thing. When you start looking at season-to-season, you can start to say a little bit more about a player's, a pitcher's home run rate, for example. And that's the kind of the missing thing. If, you, if you're if you awesome at strikeouts minus walks and awesome at home run suppression, i I can't imagine what kind of pitcher would not be awesome given those two things. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, I left strikeouts minus walks in there, and I think in this season, if there if there's something that we cannot account for and that'll be difficult in a sixty game season, 
um, and that stands out is that home run suppression will be the wild, wild west because we won't even get a full season sample. So there will be some pitchers that have great strikeouts minus walks and in the past have had trouble with home runs that would just not have home runs problems for 60 games. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I mean, this overall this year, the shorter season is going to be very difficult for us to evaluate looking ahead to 2021 for a whole bunch of different reasons. Like Matthew Boyd could be the uh, same pitcher he was last year and just have half the home run rate. Yeah, just for no, that, no it, good reason. But, just, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he changed anything skills wise that, that will help him in the future. Sixty innings, you know, for 30, sixty games. Yeah. But anyway, so this episode will easily be a two parter. If you have some questions for us that you'd like us to answer about Eno's ranks, we'll keep an eye on the comment section for the piece. But you can also email us rates and barrels at theathletic dot com. Uh, spell the word and if you go that route you can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris you can find me at Derek Van Riper if you want to check out the list and you don't have a subscription to The Athletic you can actually get a 30 day free trial at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels if you sign up from that link that of course is awesome we thank everybody who's been supporting the site over the past several months we know things are, are tough right now money is tight so we really appreciate your support. If you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate that as well. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.